This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Pepsi, Indeed, and Bet Online, along with Regents Field. Go check them all out if you'd be so kind. Y'all had questions. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions. Which I'm not surprised after the way the Detroit Lions lost on Sunday. Falling from ahead to lose 27-23 to the Chicago Bears. And we're going to do our best to answer as many of them as we can. If this gets a little bit long in the tooth while we're recording, I will maybe break this up and answer some more questions on Wednesday's show. Just because I don't want this to be a two-hour long mailbag. But it could certainly be that because I am staring at, and this is even with editing down some questions, almost 1,200 words of Twitter and Instagram questions that y'all sent in. I'm very appreciative. Please do this every week because it will give us some great stuff to talk about and we can hit on a whole bunch of different topics. There's some non-football topics in there as well. But, you know, thanks for the interest, first of all, uh, and just... For future reference, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Mike Rothstein, on Instagram at Mike Rothstein, on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And yeah, uh, definitely let's just jump right into this. And here we go. The first question from Corey, who's at W3GoBlue. Nice breakdown. Question for the mailbag. And you kind of you kind of stated you wanted to ask, but here we go. How much did losing Collins and multiple other players on defense change how they could attack the Bears late third quarter and entire fourth quarter? And Robert Cotto also asks a similar question, so we're going to combine them, which is his question was, was the tale of the two halves for Mitch Trubisky, him waking up, or a result of us losing three key players on defense, not making excuses, just wondering, was Mitch 100% in the first half, or was having more of our first team defense making a big difference? All right, so we'll kind of answer Robert's question first here, which is... I have no reason to believe that Mitchell Trubisky was not 100%. It's not like the Lions hit him a ton in the first half where he might have been injured because that clearly wasn't the case. I think Mitchell Trubisky just got more comfortable. His receivers were able to get more open. The Lions switched to more man defense, which both Mitchell Trubisky and I believe Anthony Miller talked about after the game, which is that the Lions were disguising things. They were confusing 
Mitchell Trubisky a little bit. It led to 40% completions in the first half. And then in the second half, they played more man, which Mr. Trubisky saw a whole bunch of when he played Matt Patricia before. If you remember back on Friday, I actually wrote a story for ESPN.com breaking down how Mitchell Trubisky has shredded the Lions before and that really they hadn't been successful in many ways. And part of it was they didn't really disguise a ton of defenses, but when they were in man, Trubisky actually had a lower completion percentage, but threw more touchdowns. But against zone, he completed 85%, I think it was 85% of his passes or something like that. And Trubisky did not do that really against the Lions defense in the first really three quarters. I thought Corey Undlin did a really good job there disguising and being more aggressive and forcing Trubisky into some bad throws. But then it just kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter for a multitude of reasons, including turnover, a missed field goal, and frankly, a defense that, as was alluded to, lost a bunch of corners. And they were down three of their top four corners by the end of the game. Only had Amani Awarie out there. And then you had Daryl Roberts. And Daryl Roberts isn't bad. He started some games for the Jets last year. I thought he had a pretty good camp. And then you had Tony McRae, who's more of a special teams guy. As we talked about on yesterday's show, I thought he was pretty good in special teams. But he just had a rough go of it when you're looking at what he had to do as a corner. He was beat on that Anthony Miller game-winning touchdown pass. And I thought he had good coverage there, too. It's just a great throw. So... All of that said, I think that probably losing Collins, Trufant, and Coleman hurt. I think probably losing Collins hurt the most because I don't think you have a guy that can really replace what he does as a linebacker. And I think it maybe hurt some of the coverage and maybe some of the blitz packages you were possibly going to run. Jelani Tavai really seems to get a lot of that work in his place, but... Jamie Collins is a guy they brought in for a very specific reason. And I think that it was to be kind of a chess piece among the linebackers, and they were not able to do that. So I think it did hurt them when it came to probably some schematic things maybe they wanted to do. But all of that said, that shouldn't change the outcome. You still should have enough faith in a guy who was a second-round pick for you last year to be able to come in and pick up that slack or a former first round pick for you and Jared Davis to come in and pick up that slack or, you know, a couple guys that you signed, a guy you signed a free agency, Reggie Ragland. Like you should have enough confidence that he can make some plays. Although he's more of a run stopper, but he had a hundred yard interception return in training camp. So he can make some plays and that just didn't really happen in the fourth quarter Yes, again, some of that on the corners as well, and that's part of all of this. But again, it's not like it was a six, seven point game and, you know, those injuries really hurt. The Lions were up 17 points in the fourth quarter against a quarterback who had done nothing against them all game. Injuries are not an excuse you can realistically make here because of that. It was a collapse, pure and simple. They should have been able to absolutely hold on without a doubt. One non-football question just to break this up. Andrew from Connecticut asks, do I have Loma or Teo? He's obviously talking about the Lopez-Lomachenko fight that will be happening later this year on ESPN. Definitely want to plug that. 
I will go with Loma. I think it's going to be a fantastic fight. I can't wait to watch it. Really stoked. Uh, not going to give too much analysis, but as it gets closer to fight week, if you guys want me to talk boxing and maybe depending how the Lions season is going, we'll do some MMA boxing pods, uh, mix them in. I like Loma in this fight as of now. I really do. I just can't, can't give you the total reason yet, but I, I got faith in Loma here that he'll be able to pull this one out. So we'll get to more of that. Moving on, Big Roo, who's at RooBoy12974. Since we're right on the defense and defensive line lack of pass rush in particular, what options do these clowns have to improve? Assuming it's the same clown show I predict 3-13, and 13, what are you thinking? Well, Big Roo... Um, I don't think they're going to be 3-13. and 13. I know I picked them to go 9-7, and seven, which seems kind of crazy right now, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I thought that this was a game they were going to have to really win, and after seeing the way Green Bay played and the way Arizona played and the way New Orleans played, I, I mean, 0-4 looks like a real possibility, and I think all bets are off going into that bye, especially because all of a sudden Jacksonville looks like maybe they might be a little bit tougher than one might think. I think that 3-13 and 13 is probably a little bit low. I think they have a lot more talent than that. And I think the offense will win them some games. This was an offense that still put up 23 without Kenny Galladay. And that, I think, is a big difference. I think if they have Kenny Galladay, a lot of those passes to Quintez Cephas that were incomplete, and there were seven of them, end up being complete. And you probably see a little bit of a different type of play call structure on offense as well. But... 9-7 and seven doesn't feel great as far as me picking that right now. I, I was kind of surprised with maybe how little they blitzed. And again, maybe as we were talking about in one of those prior questions, the Jamie Collins ejection might have been part of that problem or part of that decision. But I do think that they did throw some blitzes there. They just didn't get home. I thought Trey Flowers was close on a lot of them and just kind of didn't get there. Uh, but that said, you need to have more than one sack and one quarterback hit, really, from your defensive line, which is all they got from anyone, really. And if you take Trey Flowers out of that, they got no one. Nothing. And that's a problem. And I don't know how they solve that problem, especially because I think that the offenses they're playing the next three weeks are going to be much better than what they face. The quarterbacks certainly are going to be much better. I think their talent, the caliber of receiver will be much better. And that's not a slight on Allen Robinson at all because Allen Robinson's fantastic, but it's Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas. Like that's maybe three of the top five receivers in the league. So yeah, I, I don't know what the options would be. I think there are some of the same options. I believe Jabal Sherrod's still out there. He understands the defense. Maybe he can give you a little bit more pass rush off the edge. But at this point, there's nobody out there that I think is going to be a big-time difference maker for you, especially in free agency. Maybe you can trade for somebody, but I I just don't know. That's a big question, and I know a few other people asked that question about what they can do to improve the defensive line and lack of pass rush. Just looking at the guys who are out there, there's not going to be a guy that's going to come in and be a double-digit sack guy for you because guess what? That guy would have already found a home. Or that guy was Jadavian Clowney who's going to be playing for the Titans here. I'm recording this on Monday night before the Titans game, but he's on the Titans now. And 
you know, the Lions, listen, Everson Griffin was out there and Jadavian Clowney was out there. The Lions chose not to, to maybe pursue them all that fully. Although, who knows whether Clowney or Griffin would have wanted to come to the Lions because it seems like they both found homes in better situations than what they would have had in Detroit. So, I don't know. I, I really don't know how they solve that. I think their bigger pressing issue at the moment, actually, is cornerback, where they definitely worked some players out on Monday. And you have to think that they need to bring in some players stat there. The whole defense is just one big question mark right now, in part due to injury and then in part to to exactly what we thought they were, not to steal Dennis Green's line. But the defensive line is what, in many ways, I think we thought they were, which was a problem for Detroit. Alan Perlstein, who's at Al the Lion, asks, It appears that the only 2020 free agent worth his salary after week one is Adrian Peterson. How disappointing was the non-performances of Vitae, Collins, Trufant, and Harmon? So, okay. I have a little bit of issue here, mostly because some of this stuff you you can't pin, and, and you can't really put everything on week one when it comes to value of free agency. Adrian Peterson had a great day. There's no doubt about it. I thought he was the Lions MVP on Sunday. He showed great power, great burst. He gives them the type of running back they haven't had since Joyke, since Joyke Bell, and maybe even before that. And I, I say that comparison to Joyke Bell only because Adrian Peterson's 35. Adrian Peterson is prime was way better than Joyke Bell. But you look at that and you say, okay, they maybe found something there in the run game, and you combine that with DeAndre Swift, who has a ton of potential, and I think everybody knows that, and he's going to learn from what happened on Sunday. There's no doubt in my mind about that. And you still know, I think, a little bit of what Carrion Johnson can do, and I think they have to figure out how they want to use him, and that's part of the, the ongoing question in this backfield. But Adrian Peterson looked like their best back, and it wasn't even close. As far as the other guys... Vitae was injured, so I can't say that he's a disappointment or not because he didn't play. Now, if he ends up being hurt most of the season and he just can't get on the field, then I think you can say, well, wow, that was a bad decision. But after one game, if he comes back next week and plays the final 15 and plays well, I don't think that that's going to end up being an issue. I mean, guys miss games all the time. It just happens. Collins... I think you can absolutely be disappointed in what Jamie Collins did. Without a doubt, you can even sense it in Matt Patricia's voice on Monday when he was asked about it, that there was some disappointment there that Jamie Collins should just know better. He's a vet. You can't touch an official, even if you're doing it in more of a demonstrative way, a demonstrative way instead of being aggressive, which it clearly was, that was what he was trying to do. You still need to know you cannot do that. And that was a huge disappointment for the Lions when it came to Jamie Collins. So I would say that's a massive disappointment. Trufant, I thought, was playing well, actually, up until he got hurt. And, I I mean, I have no problem with what Desmond Trufant gave the Lions in week one. And the Lions need him to get healthy and get healthy fast. I thought he was quite good, actually, before his injury. And then Deron Harmon, I mean, I thought he played all right. Um... You know, I, I don't remember him getting completely beat on any specific play, but I might have missed it. There was a lot going on. And, uh, yeah, I thought he was okay. You know, I, it's what's going on around him is kind of interesting with them moving Tracy Walker down in the box and up 
up deep. I, I think that that's really an interesting scenario of what they're trying to do when, with him and Will Harris. But I thought Harmon was okay. Uh, I thought he played well enough. Listen, they were good on defense for three quarters. They really were. I'd love to know the true answer of what happened in the fourth quarter, and no one's really been able to say that. And that's one of the um, you know, challenges this year as a reporter is a lot of those like small side conversations you might have, a lot of where I maybe get will get some information here and there, uh, is not available because everything's on Zoom. And you can't really have conversations kind of off in private or like not on the record conversations where they're being quoted because everything's on Zoom. At least you can't do that in in person in a locker room. So some of that information, especially that right after the game information that might have been in some stories in years past, even explainer type stuff. Uh, is just not going to be available this year. It's going to hurt reporting. It's why if anyone says anything about like locker room and stuff like that, that's one of the value points of being able to be in the locker room after the game is you're able to grab a bunch of guys, you're able to have different conversations with them. Uh, anyway, no one cares about that, but just wanted to make that clear. So Al, I, I think you're being a little harsh a little bit there, but I would definitely be disappointed in Jamie Collins, a little bit maybe in Deron Harmon, but I, I don't think you can be disappointed in Desmond Trufant or at this point Vitae just because of the injury. We'll be back right after this short break. Stick with us. Thanks for listening to the Michael Rothstein Show. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season whether you're in a city that has some fans or you're just at home watching the lions or watching the bears or watching the packers more than likely if you're listening to this show watching the lions and i get it you're gonna want some carbonated beverage to help you through it Pepsi's the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. And even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times as three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. Now, back to our show. Welcome back as we continue on on this mailbag version of the show. 
The next question comes from Stuart Left. He's at Stuart Left. In three years, Jim Schwartz went from 0-16 to the playoffs. Matt Patricia, in three years, took a 9-7 team to the cellar. Schwartz gets fired because of a bad challenge on a play not changeable. All right, so a couple things here. First, Jim Schwartz got five years. And Jim Schwartz can get fired because of the bad challenge against Houston on Thanksgiving. He didn't get, even get fired after that season. He got fired after the 2013 season. That was my first season on the beat. And he got fired for a multitude of reasons, including, shockingly, Alliance collapsed at the end of the season. Some very poor decision-making, including... The decision to go for a fake field goal against Pittsburgh that turned the tide of that game. And frankly, had the Lions won that game, Jim Schwartz, that team probably make the playoffs and he probably still has a job. And then don't forget at the end, he got into it with fans and there was an abrasive nature. It just was a situation that was heading poorly is the best way to put it by the end. And he didn't get fired for one bad challenge. That's... Absolutely not the case. Matt Patricia, however, is heading toward a not good ending at this point. 9-23-1. So we've talked about he's actually held leads in 20 games in the fourth quarter. The Lions have lost or tied 11 of those games. And that's an amazing stat to me because if they had won, say, even half of those, it's maybe a different conversation overall, especially if that half came in the 2018 season. Like, that's that's amazing to me how thin that line really is, but it's a massive difference between 923 and 1 and maybe closer to a 500 record or something a little bit more palatable, especially because they lost Stafford last year. But Jim Schwartz did not get fired for one bad play that wasn't changeable. Jake Alvesteffer, who's at JV Alvesteffer, asks, any quality pass rushers and run defenders out there in free agency? Lions need both cause there's no pass rush today. And they gave up five yards of carry on the run defense. So we hit on this a little bit earlier that, no, I don't think that there is anybody that's going to be a massive, massive upgrade from what you already have on your team right now. Like, I, there's just not really that option out there. However... Since you asked, I will basically give you an idea of who is out there right now for the Detroit Lions if they really wanted to go after a defensive player. So, who might be available? Well, here are some possible names. If you're looking for guys that have maybe some familiarity with what the Lions do, Jabal Sheard and Ezekiel Lancer are both out there. Obviously, the Lions are very familiar with Ziggy. And what he can do and what he can't do. But the biggest problem for Ziggy is if even you do sign him, there is no guarantee that he's going to be healthy. And that seems to be a risk for me. Jabal Sheard has familiarity with the Lions defense because he played in it under the Patriots. And maybe you kick that situation around. But who knows whether or not he's even healthy at this point at age 31 or still has some of those skills. Lions cut Snacks Harrison, and I don't think he's an upgrade over Danny Shelton at this point. Marcel Darius is out there. Maybe that's a potentially intriguing person. Other than that, I mean, you know, you look at most of these guys, and none of them are, I think, are massive upgrades from what the Lions currently have. Uh, Karan Reed's a name that's maybe out there that's a little bit familiar. 
for the Lions. Anthony Zettel, a lot of former Lions out there, by the way. Brian Glasgow is out there. So maybe, maybe, maybe you look and you bring in one of these guys if you think that they can give a little bit more to you. But I'm not sold that they're going to necessarily be able to do that. I think, if anything, maybe you call up Kevin Strong from the practice squad because you know what he can possibly do. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think you're going to get anything. I'm still scrolling down the names on Spotrack of guys who were theoretically free agents at this point or on practice squads. And it's it's not a great list. So I, I don't think that you, you're going to find... You know, you might find a guy who can be a good rotational guy at this point, but you're not going to find somebody who can maybe be a star. Uh, I think that most of those guys are probably already on other teams. Sorry, Jake. But, hey, I could be wrong. We'll see what happens. Doug McCready, who's at DG McCready, asks, Mike, we have heard about a must-win season from leadership all offseason. Nothing I saw today showed me that the coaching staff is taking this seriously. Can you sense any concern about their jobs? Okay, a couple things. First, they are absolutely taking their job seriously. That's without question. They're very serious about this. If there's one thing that I can feel comfortable telling you about Matt Patricia is that Matt Patricia loves football and he takes football very seriously and he believes very much in the game of football. The guy has dedicated his life to it, has, as have all of these coaches. And that's something I think that's worth just talking about here, especially because I think that there's going to be a lot of vitriol for a while, potentially, if this goes how... Uh, it may go. And that is that it's not from a lack of working hard that the Lions are in this position from the coaching staff. It is not the lack of the love of the game of football. Because I don't know if I've ever met a coach who loves football as much as Matt Patricia loves football. Actually, the other coach I can think of didn't have a ton of success either, and that's Brady Hoke. But at least of the football coaches I've covered. But I, Matt Patricia loves football. Like, I have no doubt about that. He believes in the importance of football. And I, I they take it seriously. I, I, that's a misnomer, and I, I think that that should get corrected. It's not that they don't take it seriously. They just haven't been successful. All of that said, do I sense concern about their jobs? I, I think at this point, sure, of course, there should be natural concern. You lost in week one in 2020 basically the same way you tied in week one in 2019. And the same way, with slight variation, you've lost a large majority of your games, almost half of the games in your tenure with as the coach of the Lions in a very similar fashion. So sure, I think there should be some concern because guess what? The Bears are not a great team. And they're playing three very good, if not potentially great teams next. And then you're going to a bye at 0-4. And if you're 0-4, going into a bye, I don't know what Sheila Fordhamp will do. She's never had to make a decision like this before. And when she's advised on decisions in the past, she, the Lions got rid of Martin Mayhew and Tom Lawand. pretty you know, surprisingly, frankly, I thought that they were going to last till the end of the season when things went really poorly in 2015. But they got rid of them on the bye. And while Martha Ford at the time was the owner of the team and Rod Wood, who's still the team president, had a lot of input, Sheila Ford-Hamp was definitely in those conversations. She was by her mom's side 
every step of the way over the last five years before she took over ownership. So I think that I, I don't know what she would do. I, I really couldn't tell you the answer to that question. I think that the things that have happened off the field this year probably would not lead to this quick of a hook. But I think you have to see what things go. I, I literally don't know the answer to that question. I, I'm not trying to beg off of it. I know I've said that a few different times. But I think the expectations are the same. And if it looks like it's not heading that direction, then I think that there's absolute reason if you are on the coaching staff, if you are in the front office, to be worried about what your long-term future would be here. Because the one thing I feel confident in saying about Sheila Fordham is that she's going to make a well-reasoned decision one way or the other. And it's not going to be based out of loyalty or any blind loyalty or anything like that. She's going to, she wants to win. I have no question about that. I have no doubt about that. And if she feels like it's not going to work, I think that she would make a move. But again, she hasn't really talked about it other than her tenure opening news conference. And at that point, there was a lot of positive momentum. And remember too, this is only one game. I know that that sounds cliche. I know that that sounds very positive, but it's only one game. You've seen teams get blown out and come back. You've seen teams lose heartbreakers and come back. I think the real test of this team will be the next three weeks of the season, what they look like. And do they, are they competitive? Do they steal a win here in one of these three, which I think are probably three of their four or five toughest games of the season? Uh, I think that will tell, this next three weeks will tell three Three weeks will tell a lot of what maybe this future ends up looking like for the Lions and for this um, GM head coach combination. Tennessee Lion, who's at TN Lion 1. I personally didn't get to watch the game due to a pet emergency. However, I was checking the scores when I could. What I noticed early on, and even when we had the lead, was we were still bad with penalties. Good teams find ways to overcome, but when a team is bad, penalties are possibly an area where the team can overcome. What is your personal opinion about this? Some penalties are at bad times where the team could have lost momentum. Can we truly attribute penalties to be a factor for winning and losing teams? Sure, penalties are absolutely a factor because it comes back to discipline and it comes back to killing drives. And a holding penalty can kill a drive. A pass interference penalty that's a bad one can extend a drive. A defensive holding penalty can extend a drive. An unsportsmanlike conduct penalty can eject a player like Jamie Collins from the game. So yes, penalties can absolutely make a difference. And if you remember back in the Jim Schwartz era, and we talked about Jim Schwartz earlier on this podcast, that that was one of the big knocks on the Jim Schwartz team was that they were undisciplined from Indomitian Sue to Lewis Delmas to just poor penalties at inopportune times. That was one of the things that was the biggest problems during the Jim Schwartz era. Jim Caldwell seemed to straighten that out a little bit and he would get Super annoyed, you could tell whenever they had more than, you know, three or four penalties in a game. Because, listen, some of those are just going to happen. You know, you're not going to find a team that goes penalty-free every game, even if it's just from a false start and offsides. You know, but it's the major penalties. It's the thinking penalties, I think, that, that are the ones that uh, that drive coaches crazy and really anger them. And, yeah, they, they make a massive difference. I don't think penalties all that much other than the Jamie Collins penalty there's not one I remember that really made 
a massive difference like, say, the illegal hands to the face calls against Trey Flowers last year in Green Bay, where those clearly had a direct correlation on some of the impact, if not the full impact on the game. There was nothing quite like that on Sunday against the Bears, but yeah, they definitely make a difference. And since you asked, the Lions had eight penalties for 77 yards. I think a couple of the biggies were the Romeo Cora face mask that ended up being 15 yards on the end of a Mr. Trubisky scramble. And that ended up being a 35-yard gain for Chicago. That actually was their listed as their longest play of the day. And Desmond Trufant had a face mask as well. That was accepted as well. And that ended up being a 31-yard play, which was the second longest play of the day. So yeah, those penalties made a difference. And then there was obviously the Jamie Collins one, which took him out of the game. So yes, penalties do make a difference, but that's two examples of extending drives, although those were both first down plays. But they changed field position. They made a massive difference in potentially the result of the game, especially the Romeo Quora one, which came in the fourth quarter. JS-313, who's at Scop Justin, asks, do you see Patricia having the awareness to realize the conservative approach isn't working and adjusting accordingly? They let up, went away from what was working, lost momentum, and ultimately the game, in my opinion. Well, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I think in some ways that you are right, that especially on defense, they got very conservative. They also changed what they were doing, went to more of a man than, than as Mr. Trubisky described, kind of breaking things up and describing or disguising plays a little bit more and to me that is something that that is is a problem frankly and I think that he needs to rethink some of that if I'm Matt Patricia but so far we haven't really seen that happen now they've shown in the past some aggression offensively and I think that Daryl Bevel is a very aggressive offensive coach and is willing to take shots and take take chances. And you saw that. I mean, I go back to Bevel's first game where if they don't call that timeout against Arizona, the Lions probably win that game in regulation because it ended up being a first down. So I look at it and I say, you know what? I, I think that there's the chance of them being more aggressive, at least on offense, but sometimes it doesn't happen. And I didn't think they were necessarily aggressive on offense in the second half, particularly in the fourth quarter before the two-minute drill, because if you look at the drives before that two-minute drill, like you have the interception that came on a third and five, but they were throwing on a third and five instead of kind of just going into a shell, although they ran twice with Adrian Peterson before that for five yards, which left them in a third and five, but the way Peterson had been running, averaging around six yards a carry the entire game, Frankly, I mean, you, you you think maybe he'll be able to get you eight, nine yards, and then that puts you in a much different, much better situation. You look at the drives before that, they were still throwing the ball. They came out throwing with 8.26 left on their, set, on their third to last drive. They threw the ball on first down. They threw the ball on their second first down, which they got after a Peterson run. They ran with Peterson on their third first down, didn't really get that far, and then Matthew Stafford took that sack, Trying to make a play, didn't work. Maybe should have just thrown the ball away. That turned a second and eight into a third and 17. Then, you know, at that point, that's when it took the Lions into a deeper field goal position, which Matt Prater obviously missed that field goal wide right. 
And that really started the Lions' collapse in many ways because the Lions were still up at that point, 23-13. And there was, when Matt Prater missed that field goal, four minutes left in the game. So that that's where I don't necessarily would say they went, you know, conservative, maybe a little bit. But I think that's that last drive, the the third to last drive, I think they were fine. That second to last drive, maybe you can be a little bit more aggressive there. But again, Adrian Peterson was running well. Joel Lawell, who's at Lawell, Lawell, Jay, asks, is there any correlation between artificial turf and the slew of hamstring injuries? And this is important because... There's been a lot of questions about hamstring injuries. The Lions have had a ton of them from Kenny Galladay to Jeff Okuda to Desmond Trufant to Justin Coleman, all with hamstring injuries. Um, I don't think it's a turf thing because I don't know that all of these injuries happened on turf. The Kenny Galladay one, if it happened in practice on Wednesday, that happened on their outdoor field. And... Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think that turf is necessarily what's to blame here. I, I've talked about it a little bit. Matt Patricia's talked about it as well, that the problem right now is soft tissue injuries and hamstring injuries are co- popping up because they haven't had the same level of training and prep that you're used to. I don't care how good your training and your prep is if you're a receiver or a corner or a running back uh, or even maybe a linebacker or a tight end, that you're having to do a lot of running and that's a tough thing to simulate game speed, tackling speed, elusiveness, cutting. Like some of those things are just impossible to replicate the game speed until you're in it. And without joint practices, without preseason games, I think that you're, what you're seeing is you're seeing guys that are not thought they were maybe in shape and, and are maybe still in shape, but their bodies just aren't quite there yet. They're still getting used to some of what is going on where some of these injuries maybe wouldn't have happened with a different ramp up. You just don't, I mean, we don't really know, but not having the spring to really get your body acclimated also hurts. So all of those things I think are the factor that we're seeing the hamstring injuries at the level that we are versus necessarily a health thing or a like strength and conditioning thing, which is something I've seen thrown around by some people on Twitter. And I just don't really buy that. Because it's not just a Lions problem. It's a league-wide issue. So that should tell you that it's not something that Josh Schooler is maybe doing or not doing. I think it's more of everyone around the league is realizing that this is a problem, especially for some of the skill position guys. And, you know, hopefully by... I think what you're seeing is a lot of teams, like, for instance, the Giants are playing right now as I'm watching Monday Night Football. Golden Tate's not in there with a hamstring injury. And if you know anything about Golden Tate, which Lions fans obviously do, Golden Tate will play through a lot. And he's a very durable player. But some of these guys might be sitting where they would have maybe played in a different scenario. But it's week one. You want guys to be healthy in the long run. So maybe you sacrifice a guy playing in week one if it means that you get him back by week three versus him playing in week one. Maybe aggravates it and then he's out to week seven. So there's some strategy there as well. And some of these guys sitting with hamstring injuries... But they're popping up in part because just the conditioning is different and the level of of play is just different. It's not anything you can simulate before you actually get in the game. And Joel Bartlett, kind of following on that, asks, who's Joel Bartlett, at Joel Bartlett, asks, how long an average hamstring injuries take to heal? Because the Lions are going to need them, like, super quick. 
I don't agree. I don't disagree that they're going to need them super quick. Hamstrings, they're tricky because it depends on what's going on with them. And we don't know the severity of any of these injuries. I mean, I think it's a good sign, at least, that Justin Coleman and Desmond Trufant were at least able to walk off the field. Um, I think the fact that Jeff Okuda got in some practice throughout the week is probably a good sign on him. Maybe less so that Kenny Galladay didn't practice at all, but I think maybe you're you're looking at it a little bit and you say, okay, well, maybe they're just kind of resting him to get him ready as soon as possible. I, I don't know. You know, everybody's hamstring injuries are, could be different. Maybe you see some of these guys back this week. Maybe some of them don't come back for a couple of weeks. Uh, you, you just don't know unless you got a real idea on the severity of it and, and what's really going on, whether it's just a pull, whether it's a little bit more serious than that. And it's going to be a case-by-case basis. I know that's not an answer that helps you, but it's just the reality of kind of what is going on. S. McOslin, who's at S. McOslin13, how much longer do we have to witness this team just collapsing game after game? Is there any chance Bob Quinn tries to save his job and would fire Patricia now? That's a fair question. Matt Patricia is not going to get fired after week one. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to walk away from your entire offseason just because of one collapse. I It goes back to what we were talking about before with Sheila Ford Hamp, right? That I think at this point you're going to maybe see how the next three weeks go. And if it's going really, really poorly, I think that Bob Quinn might have decisions to make. Sheila Ford Hamp might have decisions to make. But the, also the reality is that so much of this season has been different that – I just think that there might be a little bit more of a longer runway, especially because the buy is so early to making any sort of decisions. But, I mean, this is a massive three weeks for the future of the Matt Patricia and probably Bob Quinn tenures with the Lions. I don't think there's any question about that, especially since... Sheila Fordham still expects them to play meaningful football here in December. And if they end up 0-4, the chances of them playing meaningful football in December, even with the extra playoff spot, lessens by the week. Especially because those are also four losses, two NFC teams. And that puts you potentially in tough spots with tiebreakers. If, say, Arizona doesn't win the division or with... Green Bay, if the Packers don't win the division. Uh, And, I mean, I feel like the Saints are probably going to win the NFC South. But, again, it's one week. But if the Saints somehow don't win the division, that could put you in another bad tiebreaker scenario. So that's all things to consider, right, when you're looking at what's going to happen. But these next three weeks are massive for the Lions for not only this season, but I think the future of where this franchise might end up heading. Daryl Domanski who's at Daryl D20 asks, who do you actually, who do they actually think is a pass rusher on this team besides flowers? How can you play man coverage so often knowing you have nobody who can get to the quarterback? Listen, Daryl, that's a completely legitimate and fair question. And it's one that I've asked over and over and over again on this show since way back from last year. And certainly in the draft process when they didn't really address pass rusher at all until the end other than Julian Okwara and I think Julian Okwara ends up being will end up potentially being a really good pick he didn't play much here in week one but he has been battling an injury as well so I feel like the same way they brought DeAndre Swift along kind of kind of slowly 
I feel like they're doing the same thing with Julian O'Quara. I think Julian O'Quara has the talent to be pretty darn good. And if you're looking for a pass rusher besides Flowers, I think Julian O'Quara can be that eventually. Do I think that that's this coming week? I don't know. We'll see how he practices. But I think at some point this season, you'll see Julian O'Quara become an effective pass rusher. His brother, Romeo O'Quara, also should be an effective pass rusher. He hasn't always been that. He, I thought, was much better in 2018 than 2019, and they need him to get back to his 2018 form here in 2020, but he has the skill set for that. They signed Nick Williams to be a pass rush player out of the interior. I've not always been a fan of that move. I've been pretty open about that just because he had one year where he had six sacks and hadn't really produced at that level before that. And... I think that's still a major concern. And same thing with Deshaun Hand. You're hoping you'll get that pass rush out of Deshaun Hand, whether it's at the end or it's coming out of the middle at a tackle spot, depending on the package. So that, I think, is another spot where you're looking at pass rusher. Jamie Collins theoretically could have been a pass rusher, but he got ejected in the beginning of the second quarter. And Jared Davis is a guy I think they're going to use a lot more as a pass rusher. You might see... Christian Jones being used more as a pass rusher as you're, as you're looking at front seven players. But again, that you got some questions there overall, right? Of like what that's going to look like, what that's going to be. And I don't think that a lot of those questions have been answered yet after one week. But I'm not shocked that not every question we've had will get answered after week one. I, I think we'll know a little bit more here after week two, week three, week four. And really, by the time they get into the bye, I think we'll have a much better understanding of what this team may or may not be this season, both on offense and on defense. For what it's worth, I still think their offense has a chance to be pretty, pretty special once they get Kenny Galladay back. And I think you saw that in fits and starts on Sunday. But their defense, I think there's a lot of questions there. Pranav, who's at poor Bondar123, asks, when will the Lions stop sucking? And Colleen Thomas, who is an old friend of mine back from when I covered Michigan, who's at Colleen Thomas, asks, why should I keep watching this team? I feel like both of these questions are kind of similar in nature, so we will answer both of them at once. Listen, I I don't know the answer to your question, the first question. I, I still don't think this team, I still think this team has the potential to be okay. I really do. But I understand where you're coming from, and I would just say, yeah, like I said in the last question, these next three weeks are going to tell a lot, right? Like, And that's going to be a big, big, I think, driver of what the future of this franchise could end up being at the end of the season. So I don't know the answer, but if you're the Lions on this team, you hope that you figure it out and figure it out soon. Why should you keep watching? Colleen, that's a great question, and I... I always say this whenever anyone asks, and I remember back after the Rodgers to Rodgers Hail Mary, I actually went on Twitter and I asked, like, you know, what what's your breaking point? What would be your breaking point? Or what can t- keeps you continuing to watch this team? And I think I did a whole Twitter story out of that uh, just because it was the easiest way to crowdsource that information, right? And I thought about that actually on Sunday when this happened again. And I, I say this, and this is, I say this with listening to my podcast, and obviously I hope you stick around, but if you're not getting joy out of what you're doing, and I mean this with any activity, whether it's watching the NFL or rooting for a team or reading a book or going on a run or you know, uh, crocheting or watching UFC or uh, you know, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons or 
or playing FIFA or, or playing you know Marvel Avengers, whatever it is that you do for fun, whatever it is that you do besides what you do for your job to bring in money and obligations with family and hopefully spending time with friends, if you're not getting joy out of your hobbies, out of your recreational activities, why do them? That's, that's a philosophy I live my life by or try to. It's why I actually stopped playing golf for a number of years. Uh, I stopped getting joy out of it except when I play with my father. And uh, only recently have I gotten back into it because I found the joy in it again. Sure, it's still frustrating. Golf is a frustrating game, but I found that I once again found an area of joy, so I do it. But once I stopped finding joy in that, I stopped doing it. So Colleen, I would tell you this, and I uh, is if you're not finding joy in watching the Lions anymore, and I realize that it's probably a difficult thing to look at right now, then why are you doing it? And I, I would say that with any any activity that you have. If it's not bringing you joy, if it's not bringing you happiness, if it's not bringing you togetherness with other people that you want to spend time with, why do it? And I get fandom. I get it. I get it. I get it. But isn't part of fandom being able to enjoy watching your team play and not having the consistent heartbreak? But I don't know. That's um, that's just my philosophy. Everybody's philosophy is different and I'll never begrudge somebody for doing something that they feel that they want to do. But if you're looking for an answer, I would say I think that their offense is going to be pretty good still. I really do. I think that there is some potential there on defense. I think you saw that through three quarters. Um, still, Matt Prater, sure, he missed a 55-yarder, but he's one of the most consistent kickers in the NFL. So I think that there's still some positives that you can take from this team. TJ Hawkinson, Matthew Stafford, Kenny Galladay, Adrian Peterson, Tracy Walker, Trey Flowers, Theoretically, Jamie Collins, Matt Prater, Jamal Agnew as a returner. All of those things, I think, are positives for the Lions. The potential of DeAndre Swift, the potential of Julian O'Quara. All of these things, I think, are positives and potential for why you should maybe keep watching this team. But if it's not bringing you joy anymore, I totally get it. We're going to answer just one more here. And then I think what we're going to do is I might save the rest and spread them out throughout the week. Um, And maybe if we keep getting questions like this, I'll I'll start doing that. Um, But I would say I will answer this question last. And it comes from actually three different people who asked very similar questions. At Lassiter9398, who's James L. Chuck Sutton, who's at DJCNS. And at Martin Senfer, who's at M. Senfer. Is it too early to talk possible general manager and head coach candidates? And, and we talked about this a little bit earlier on. And I would say, yes, at this point, it's still probably a little bit too early to talk about GM and head coach candidates. It just seems like it's, it's just one week. You know, I, let's see what happens here on Sunday. And let's see what happens next Sunday against Arizona. And if both of those games go poorly for the Lions... Let's revisit that conversation because I think it's something that we can probably have a little bit more of a real real talk about on this podcast at that point. I'm just not ready after week one to, to go there because I don't think it's this isn't going to be a decision that's made after one week. It, Sheila Ford-Hamp does not strike me as that type of owner. Uh, plus, it's not like baseball. It's not even like the NBA or NHL where, or, premier, or the premiership where you see very quick sackings to use the term that's used in the premiership. Uh, I, I just don't see it. And I think that 
you know, like I said, we'll see what happens after the next couple of weeks. And if it's not going well, I think that then maybe you can start having those conversations. But I just want to get this out of the way as well, that those are not fun conversations. Like at the end of the day, we're all humans and one would hope that through this pandemic and everything else that's gone on here in 2020, that there's a little bit more empathy and there's a little bit more understanding. Listen, I'll be the first one to say it all comes down to performance, right? And and these coaches and GMs are making, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to, to do their job. And if they're not performing, then, you know, it's, it's a very public job and it comes with the territory. But don't celebrate certain things because, you know, listen, Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia, they have wives, they have families that get uprooted and it's hard on it's harder on them than it is the coaches so and then there's assistant coaches who aren't making that big type of money and have to do the same type of uprooting there's staffers in the front office that are similar that don't necessarily have as much to do with the the game-to-game decisions the decisions that will cost you know players and coaches and general managers their job so understand that when there's a regime change, when there's a coaching change, when there's a GM change, all of those things factor in. So it's not something that I will enjoy talking about. It's part of the job, so I will talk about it. But these are people's livelihoods on the line, and these are people's families and, and, and real futures and real human things that go on. So as we maybe have these conversations over the next few weeks, just understand that that's, um, you know, that's part of this too, right? And I guess I've always been empathetic to that and always um, thought about that when I've looked at coaching changes and talking about certain things and making a decision whether to write something that maybe will, you know, say, hey, that they need to make a change is that there's great care that goes into having that conversation and writing that and making one of those calls and saying something like that. Like, that's not something that... I think talk about willy-nilly because of all the other real world real life factors that are involved and i know that might not be fun for for some people and it's you know just it's part of the game in the nfl and part of the game in pro sports i remember one i believe it was an nba coach i was talking to i forget who it was who told me and it was fairly early on in my career that you know when you get to pro sports in a lot of cases you're hired to be fired you know, it's not like college where guys end up hanging on for, for a lot longer. Like, you know, you look at the turnover in pro sports and that's just what it is, right? But just saying, like, that's that's always stuck in my head is that pro coaches generally know the deal, but it doesn't mean it's easier and there's so many other considerations that, that have to happen. Uh, and people who have no control over anything that will cause that, they end up being more affected. So with that... Uh, thank you all for all of your questions. I think we went about an hour here on the show today. Uh, and like I said, we didn't get to everything. And I will save some of these questions and try to hit them throughout the rest of the week here as we head into week two where the Lions play the Packers. And uh, I'm excited for a couple of shows here that are coming up. And as always, I want to thank my sponsors. Indeed, Pepsi, Regions Field, and Bet Online. I want to thank Blue Wire for hosting this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. I apologize if I did not get to your question yet. There were a ton of them, I think, as you can tell. And you can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. And with that, we will chat with you tomorrow. 
The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.